Hello, welcome to the Life Done Differently podcast with me, Neil Whitten, and my co-host Ray Richards. Join us on our journey to find out what separates the doers from the thinkers. Alan Phillips is a self-described anarchist. Growing up in the hedonistic 60s, Alan found his way into architecture. But he's not your everyday architect. His lifelong passion for design has taken him around the world to teach and to design houses for all kinds of interesting people, from princes to U2 frontman Bono. Now in his early 70s, Alan reflects on the stabilising role that architecture plays in his life. This is a story of yin and yang, where Alan's passion and drive for the creative art of designing buildings meet his OCD behaviour and how he organises everything in his life right down to the very specific way in which he makes his bed. Without this creative passion for his work, he'd likely be dead. But with it, he finds a balance to live his best life. This is where the benefits of a blurring between work and life really come into focus. Hello, Alan. We're on. This is it. Good. Can I just leave that like yeah, that? Yeah. No, you need to pick it up and no. hold it like a, like, that. like a pro. Yeah. Like a pro. Um, say hello, Ray. Hello. Hello. Okay. So, um, we are sitting in the Walrus in Brighton, and um, we welcome Alan. What's your surname, Alan? Phillips. Alan Phillips. Who I, I don't have that much background, but I'm going to... Well, in fact, introduce yourself. To, if I meet you at a party... If you met me at a party? At a party. Well, it depends when it was. If it and was I 1973... Say, go on, well, we'll do 73, and then we'll do today. If it was 1973, and you and met said, me at a party... What's your story, Alan? What do you do? What, how, do you, how do you spend your time? How would you answer that? Uh, yeah, I'm an architect. That's easy. Uh-huh. So I draw... I, I make drawings from which buildings are made. And that's, that's about it, really. Okay. Oh, I teach as well. And if... And that was the and 70s right. version, or was that the today no, no, version? No, the 70s That's version. Everybody hated architects in the 70s. So if I went to a party and met you in the 70s, because we were hate figures, because everybody thought that all we did was put up ghastly tower blocks, yeah. I used to say I was a male prostitute. Did you? Yes. <laughs> and I found that much more engaging. Any truth in that? No. no. Well, I mean, I've been a, you know, a bit of a slag in my time. Have you? But fairly <laughs> promiscuous. But and this relates back but, to what you... But I never asked for money. We, yeah, I never ever asked for money. That's where you went wrong, huh? I, I might have made some money. I might oh. have, but anyway, I never asked for money. I, you, you know, you have no idea how to set set a rate, do you? <laughs> so, what Ray what Ray said to me before this conversation was that Alan is the only architect who is soon to be featured on Grand Designs twice. Correct. And so I know that that about you, which I'm really intrigued by. I should probably say that's another um, thing that Ray and I have in common, that we're, we're, we're both quite interested in architecture. So I think we're quite opinionated on architecture and get into that. Um, we're He's interested. very good. Yeah, he is actually. He's, He's very, very, very good. good. And we, we'll, we'll mention that now. So the reason that we know Alan is because Alan was the architect for, for, for Ray's house. Correct. Yeah. And, um, and you spent how long doing that? We spent a year together doing that. But Ray's, Ray started life you know more or less on the outside bring the mic- and then very sorry bring the microphone up and then That's very it. very and then very subtly and very slowly and very gently moved into a principal role of specifying and making design decisions so on it was very elegantly done yeah because i'd never saw it coming it was fantastic so he was very very clever in that regard uh, but made some fantastic design decisions the Mario Brothers being one of them. Mario Brothers. <laughs> What's the Mario Brothers? The uh, Ray ordered some flooring from Outer Mongolia or 
Transylvania. Uh, Transylvania. And the flooring came with two men to fit it, and they both had matching overalls um, and looked exactly like the Mario Brothers. But both the flooring and the way in which they laid it was absolute genius. And the price was right as far as race is concerned. So, so, <laughs> it was, so it was, it was from Transylvania. I had to make a bank transfer to the Bank of Transylvania. The lady in that West looked at me, <coughs> well, disbelievingly. At some considerable risk. If I had done a risk analysis on how safe that money would have been, I would have stopped him doing it, except that I couldn't. It all worked out. It all worked out very well. So your relationship runs reasonably deep then if you, if you work together for a year. Yeah, yeah, we're, fr- we're friends. Okay, good. So yeah, that's that's the that's the background. That's as much as we know. And the only other thing that Ray's told me, I had heard this story some time ago, but um, obviously couldn't connect it back to you. It's just the architect um, about a well-known rock star um, who, for the time being, shall re- remain nameless. Well, lives in Ireland. Have to remain nameless, but and you and you, you I did, did his house. I did his house in France. Uh, Bono's house well it was Bono and Edge and the Edge as well oh really they bought, bought the house together they bought the house together and it was it was on the beach at Ayers and it was the it was the French president's equivalent of Chequers wow so it was a house right on the beach you know, France has have uh, laws that disallow any beach to be privatised yeah but because this was the French president's winter residence where they would go to get some winter sun then there was a private beach as well, which was beautiful. And I went down there and did, did that for Fant- them. Fantastic. Yeah, when, when, when was that? What year? 1996. Wow. Okay. So I spent a year, year and a bit down there. And you're, are you still practicing as yeah. an architect? Yeah. You are? Yeah. Great. So yeah. Why are you? I think I'm too old. Not at all. <laughs> no, but, we, but I mean, you, you told me before we started recording that you have how many children? Five. Five children, and the youngest is about to be disowned Become because they're ter- he's, he's turning 18. He's turning 18. That's when you should throw them out. Exactly. 18. Yeah, I like that. 18 years is a long time, yeah, isn't it? It really is. Yeah. Happies and shit and you know, money and everything else. So when they get to 18, just get rid of them as yeah. quickly well, as Well, they possible. start paying back at that point. That's they, they become an start. asset. Yeah, exactly. Well, all <laughs> I want is a hundred quid a week from each of them, and I'd be, <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll be, I'll be absolutely fine. Have you heard that, kids? See that? So that they're part of our audience now. You see, that's how it works. And your oldest is forty-six. Forty-six, I think. Yeah, forty-six. Which makes you at least forty-seven. No, it doesn't. You've which got to make, be at least. It makes me seventy-one. Yeah. So you look good for seventy-one. Well, thank actually. you very much. Do you know that? I tried to look a bit rugged today. Did you? Yeah. <laughs> put on. You know, I try to look a bit butch. A bit cool. But because normally it's the typical architect's uniform of black suit and black roll neck jumper and black glasses. Yeah. In fact, we sometimes look like twins, <laughs> Ray, Ray and myself, which is a bit disturbing. But, um, yeah. Yeah, so I'm 71 and, and feeling great and still working very hard and loving every minute of it. Good for you. Yeah, it's what, good. What are you working on at the moment? Well, I found myself, weirdly, I don't know whether it's weirdly or not, but I found myself, I rejected, I don't like doing public sector work because it's tick boxing and form filling and it's absolutely dreadful and you have to work to rote and you have to work to a formula so for instance if I was on a panel um, doing schools let's say I know that I'd get a school every four years Mm. but that school would be so bound up with a series of uh, um, rules and regulations and guidelines and that it wouldn't be worth doing because there would be very very little creative energy that I get out of it all you do is get income to pay your staff. Sure, yeah. So I found myself doing um, uh, large houses 
for private individuals who have very, very, very deep pockets. Yeah. Um, and there's a common interest in, in, in simply making something very beautiful yeah. for them to live in. And now, you have to be extraordinarily patient to do private domestic work because clients are constantly changing their mind or agreeing on a design then spending the weekend arguing and coming back and not agreeing on it. No, and, but that's, I, I've got a lot of patience and I love redrawing and redrawing and redrawing. And I'm doing about six in North Devon at the moment. Everybody seems to want to live in North Devon. Yeah. So whereas it was Sandbanks yeah, earlier, yeah. I did one there. Um, um, uh, now it's North Devon, what they call the Saunton Ridge, and that's where I'm doing the Grand Designs okay. house. So there's about six there, and there's about four in the southeast. So six in the southwest and about four. And then the odd sprinkling of other. We're doing 32 houses over in Salt Dean at the moment. Wow. So you do the whole, whole development? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but mainly now, now that I'm just beginning to put the idea of making something very beautiful in front of any commercial gain whatsoever um, I'm tending not to accept any commissions beyond those that I've got at the moment mm. and then every, strangely enough every year two wonderful invitations come in from really? it yeah I've got a lovely barrister um, a female barrister that's actually changed women's law which is well, the law that protects women um, she's just asked me to do a house which came completely out of the blue that, you know, so those sort of things are, are lovely so you, you over the years that you've been practicing you've obviously built up enough of a brand and enough um, status that people are coming to you as an architect because of an expectation of what you're going to create creatively yeah, I've been very yeah I've been really lucky uh, the, the way that it happened with, with Bono funnily enough is that he sent some finders out to find an architect and and just at that time I'd, I'd been made an examiner at the Royal College of Art I'd brought out I think the third of a series of six books which are in the window of the RIBA wow. do you see so suddenly that the finder is going around going to the Royal College of Art and saying well we know you're all good architects but who is the architect that judges that your teaching is <laughs> good enough oh that's a guy called Alan Foot. so the name purely by serendipity yeah. like, just kept on popping up so I was asked to go over to Ireland along with about another 20 and then after three interview processes as they say I got the gig wow so that that's what happens and then then that cements a certain amount of reputation necessarily and and hopefully yeah and then I mean you, what you don't do is mess up no sure you don't mess up do you um, so but I but I'm interested in um, the role that you have to play as an architect because presumably to be very good you have to have um, a unique and clear creative brain but at the same time what you described as the kind of customers that you're working with and the complexities <coughs> of managing human beings through that process where the, their level of interest is way beyond what it would be for most of the things that they're interested in life because it's their home and it's what it's it, it's it's a definition of themselves as much as it is your creative de definition it's, it's incredible uh, it is uh, it becomes an incredibly intimate um relationship it has to be because you're you're building them a home aren't you it's not just a house yeah. but it's a home um and 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 it comes with all with so many different problems um attached to making that home um, we're doing one in Essex at the moment where the client said to me how big's my dressing room and I said well, it's about four meters by four meters 
reasonable sized dressing room. He said, that's not big enough. And I said, well, why not? He said, well, I can't even get my shoes in that. And I said, well, how many pairs of shoes do you have? He said, 600. Oh, God. And he wanted them all on display oh, simultaneously. Recently, another client, and I, he was talking about garaging. And I said, well, you, know, you don't put cars in garages anymore. He said, well, he said I put my cars in garages because they're very expensive and old and vintage. I said, well, how many do you have? And he said, 38. <laughs> so <laughs> suddenly a garage for 38 cars changes the, the, the way in which you present the house and the garden entirely. Yeah. Changes it entirely. And do you have, so going back to that point around, I'm, I'm trying to understand what your super skill is, where, what, what complexion you have that makes you unique. And I'm guessing that there's something about the role of being able to work intimately with people in a way where you can be respectful, but at the same time hold a creative vision. Um, but there must be instances where you just don't agree or you know that the creativity is going to be lost. How do you deal with that? And have there been any situations where you've had to walk away? Yeah, or I've you walked away many, you have? Yeah, lots of times. Because it just, it's just going to be a miserable a miserable existence mm. it's going to be completely and utterly miserable um, for them and you I uh, for both of us yeah yeah but you <coughs> you need to say right at the outset you know let's 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 just it's a bit like we have a probationary period you know well, I'll do some drawings which would literally be hand drawing I'll do some drawings for you you have a look at them we get to know each other and if we feel as if we're going to get on then we'll take it to the next stage but the whole of that period between the very first act of design and making a planning application is subject to a break clause. Right. And I make it very clear to them that we'll have four easy stages and at each of those stages we can walk away. Mm -hmm. But if we get up to the planning stage, then for the sake of me and my bank balance mm. and, and, and the creative effort that I've put in to that period of design, then I'd like, you, I'd, I'd like to feel that you could commit mm to building it mm. so we do have these break clauses and w have you had to work work that out through the years and also does that approach to building trust and building relationships play out in other areas of your life um, but most other areas of my life have been a complete disaster <laughs> I mean it, no I mean they haven't they, do you see I mean I've been you know there used to be a, a saying that architects make very good lovers and very bad husbands. Um, and it might be true, but you know, I'm on my third marriage and the other two were staggeringly expensive. Um, uh, so, and, the, and there has been those sort of disasters. On the other hand, I, I, I managed to quarry, I think, 10 years between one divorce and the next marriage when I lived entirely on my own and got very, very comfortable with my own existence. Mm and got very, very relaxed about coming home to an empty house, which I found delirious and, and wonderful, yeah. and getting up in the morning entirely on my own to make my own decisions. So, but, but then someone would jump out of the woodwork, and, and you'd fall in love all over again, yeah. which was a disaster. You're obviously a catch, Alan. <laughs> let's, let's, try and, let's try and paint a picture. You, let's, you, let's you go. need to interview Chris. Here's Chris. You do not need to interview Chris. <laughs> Chris is my, my current and long-suffering and gorgeous, wonderful wife. Oh, I see. And um, she's... And, she is. And we know this because <laughs> we, we were talking just before we started recording that she is 
a number of years your junior? 26, I think. 26, 26 years. Because, yes, because I... Yeah. I think I fathered Sam when I was 54. Wow. And she was... Yeah, yeah so 20, 26 years, I think. 25 or 26. So what, what I'd like to do... I, I'm, there's all sorts of unconventional here, which is what we're trying to uncover. And I'd like to try and go back and... And if I could, could you, can I ask you to paint, paint a picture? Tell us the story of you growing up, um, finding your way um, as an architect. Were you always going to be an architect or was that something that found you? Well, growing up was a, I mean, the whole, the whole, um, I mean, imagine, imagine just for a moment, if I can go forward to go backwards. Okay. Yeah, imagine yeah. just for a moment, right. Uh, your birth mother throws you out at birth. You get adopted onto a farm where you know that, the person that adopted the man that adopted you is going to use you for slave labor for the next da-da-da. you manage to get into grammar school you leave grammar school you run away from home you come down to brighton in 1966 wow good time to be in brighton 1965 then you become a committed mod as we did in those days someone commented then that because alan phillips was 20 years old in 1967 the chances of him ever reaching puberty are practically yeah. nil. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's sort of, but it was. I, it was really violent, wasn't but it? But emotionally, no. completely ruined. Mm. I mean, totally ruined. Then, then you had this adult attachment disorder, which means that you either fight or flight. And my choice was always to run away from absolutely everything. Yeah. Um, which that, which included my early children. And of course, because I ran away from them, they decided to run away from me so it becomes then this extraordinarily difficult circular condition um uh, not not so actually um um the boys but the um eloise has been very difficult not she hasn't been very difficult but she's decided that she'd be much better off without me um and that's fine it's not fine but it has to be fine so so then your mother mother finds you again and now I've just finished lunch with my mother talking to my mother about my mother wow for whom I then have to start discussing my two fathers wow and and it it, it, it you know if there's such a definition of discombobulation yeah that is exactly that yeah so my architecture is is my soulmate it, my architecture is my mistress sure, my architecture is my your outlet it's your well it's, it's my security yeah it's because it never lets me down. I'm mm. lucky enough to be able to draw quite well. I'm lucky enough to be able to imagine space for my clients that fall in love with it. Mm. So it, it, that, that's my rock. Archite not, I don't, not that I don't love all my children equally and all of them passionately. And, and Chris, who's put up with me for 20 years, God bless her, she really has. But when I, have, I, I work in my office alone every day, mm. all day, making drawing space, drawing light. And that's my rock, and that's what I hang on to. If that was taken away from me, I sh I'm absolutely certain that you wouldn't be able to interview me next year. Yeah, amazing. You, you, you're not going to retire, are you? No, never. I'll die with my boots on. Yeah. Without uh, any doubt whatsoever, because it's the only thing I want to do. Without yeah. it, I'd have absolutely nothing, because everything else... Uh, I mean, sometimes I could feel that everything else has let me down. Some Everybody else would probably say that I've let them down. Mm. Either way, the one relationship I've had that is secure and reciprocal and beautiful 
is my relationship with architecture. That's incredible. So I think Ray and I, again, we're, we're, we're both very strong believers of the importance of finding work that doesn't feel like work, where, I mean, it's, it's an overused term at the moment, but finding purpose and finding passion in what you do. Um, but I think what you've just described is is that inherently, isn't it? It's it's. It's not work. It's no. It's life. It's it's you. It's a, and, and, and it's easy. It's it's just it's just you manifesting yourself into the world in the it's not, in the no, purest it's not, way. Yeah, it's not work. And and people underestimate how passionate. We all know about you know the tragedy of the artist mm. and the tragedy, but. I mean, I can name an architect. I won't name an architect, but I can tell you that an architect that a, a major project in London that was taken away from an architect that I know killed him. Wow. He killed him. Wow. He died within 24 months of that happening. Wow, incredible. Because his entire soul was, was torn out. This was going to be his masterwork. And it actually, it's, I think it still remains as his masterwork, but he was pulled out of it because of politics. Wow. And, and it killed him. Yeah, so you've so, got, you got to really protect yourself to make sure that doesn't, yeah, doesn't happen to you. Is yeah, it? I do, and I've got great big boards over my windows and everything else. I mean, it's all actually a huge, you know, huge security thing, yeah. security problem. How, how you, so you're very, you're very self-aware around what we're discussing here. How, at what point did you start to understand this of the role that architecture was playing in your life and the stability it's bringing? I think, I think when 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 in in architecture you do two you have two phases of your education. One is one is your first degree. The second one is then a di- normally a diploma. Yeah. What they call a diploma. I think when when I was awarded a distinction plus in thesis, I thought, do you know what? Someone actually believes that I'm not too bad at this. Yeah. And that was the point, that was the point. When I finished my five years at college and was awarded the highest possible pass, in fact, I, I, I suddenly realized that someone, someone, a group of people out there, thought that I wasn't doing too bad a job. And I just built on that and built on that and built on that and built on that. And it interfered with everything else in my life, of course, but it created a smokescreen between mm. what I was doing and the insecurity of having two mothers and two fathers and a daughter that didn't talk to me and all of, and two divorces, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. That was, so when I go into my office in the morning, which I do every single morning, I close the door behind me, I'm in heaven. So uh, I want to remember to come back to that point around you coming, you going to your office every day in a, in a moment, but I, I also want to just come back a second to you. I think there's a there's a debate about whether or not an individual should search out their purpose versus working hard at something that you enjoy doing to a point where the purpose finds you because you reach a level of mastery or a level of recognition, a level of comfort um, and competence in, in that endeavor. And I, the question is, which, which of those two, two do you most believe in or, or which best reflects your experience of finding architecture the, 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 um, I found architecture through an act of destruction which is deeply ironical yeah. um, I was a painting student at Brighton but you have to remember the year you know we had Hornsey and we had Paris and we had sit-ins and we had Sartre literally ripping up the streets of Paris it was an extraordinarily wonderful time and I looked at the canvases I was meant 
to make a representation on and arrange for someone to be in the local tele telephone box and then smash the canvases up and I knew that flames are red and yellow and I knew that fire engines are red and yellow with ye yellow helmet so I and then set light to them and then told someone and then the fire brigade came and then I filmed it all on Super 8 and thought that this was the greatest work <laughs> greatest work of art ever <laughs> but I got thrown out and almost almost arrested for um, arson and they but the, instead of sending me away into the wilderness they marched me over to the school of architecture and said this guy is clearly obsessed with three-dimensional representation of three-dimensional form as opposed to a two-dimensional representation of three-dimensional form take him on and I, I I don't think I had enough A levels or whatever so they sent me out to to get another couple of A levels because you could get into Brighton Art College in those days with a potato print and a joint yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but um, you couldn't get into architecture school because they still still wore corduroys yeah um, um, so I had to get rush off and go and get a couple of A-levels and then came back and then they said we'll give you three months and I just started making these marks and it was just the best thing ever so breaking something in in fine art then led me to architecture and I I knew then everything was going to be wonderful but only after it had been endorsed in my year five but it but it sounds like it's something in the world of art and drawing came naturally to you you, you, yeah. you had some kind of innate skill there yeah I don't know how I don't know I don't know why that is but I know I can draw I'm I can I can really really draw what about your interest in in architecture and buildings can you can you put can you track that back to anything um specific yeah I can um um behind the cottage uh, well my parents had a farm my adopted parents, not my birth parents. Mm. My adopted parents had a farm. And part of that farm set back against a very steep bank to a lane called Stairbridge Lane. And you know that when trees try and root on a steep bank, their roots fly up like flying mm. buttresses. Mm. And I used to go and sit underneath these roots mm. with little toy tractors, because I was on the farm, so mm. I always got given toy tractors, and pretended that the undercroft of the tree with the roots breaking out over the bank was a building. Mm. And I became fascinated by the possibilities of structure and form. That was the truth of it, absolutely mm. the truth of it. And I know I, 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 can, I can probably take you to that tree now. Mm. I know exactly the tree and I exactly where it is. Have you been back? I haven't. Maybe that's, this is a good maybe maybe, I, maybe that would be an interesting thing to do. I certainly... <laughs> Now that I'm big and old and fat, <laughs> I certainly wouldn't get underneath the, the no. branches. But, um, but I did then, and I used to. Yeah, I, I remember sitting there and going, "Oh, that's absolutely wonderful," because it's very rare that you can see the formation of the roots of it. You can see the branches, yeah, but the roots are upside down branches, mm -hmm. so they form canopies mm. and extraordinary structures. You think about, you know, Gaudi's uh, Sagrada yeah. Familia, for yeah. instance. He constructed that by hanging chain diagrams by hanging a chain from one point to another and seeing how the chain formed a parabola and going and then freezing that in time and then making a structure out of wow. it. So these tree roots were rather like a great building to me. They were fantastic. And to give it scale, I used to take my toys out and put them against the branches. And that was nice. 
but to, but there were there were there were also people like um, you know, people saying hippie thing, nice things like to build is to know oneself. Mm-hmm. Well, like I was that. thinking as you were saying that there's there's a metaphor around um, designing home and making perfect homes, and how that maybe overlays with what you were describing of um, the the broken upbringing and and, and maybe that being an outlet again for yeah. you. Yeah, I mean, it, I'm only broken in, in so far as me now knowing what adult attachment disorder means, mm. but not broken in so far as my mother and father not caring for me and loving me as much as they could, of course. Um, but nevertheless, yeah, pretty, I think it was pretty broken. Um, can I can I bring you to, uh, we, we, we've talked before about this sort of the known and the unknown. Yeah. And and you've helped me understand understand it, and I'm just I'm conscious that there are many architects out there who don't really get a chance to step into the unknown because there are so many rules and regulations, like you were describing earlier, that mean that their creativity is the, the amount of creativity they can bring to a project is minimal. But but you work with individuals, and individuals have got give you the license and give themselves the license to sort of step more into the unknown. That's precisely it. They 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 do. They transfer um, an act of faith to you, a, a license. It's exactly that to make something beautiful for them, but also, if you like, practical and. Um, and respecting the budget that they have and so on. Often the budget is very handsome, I have to say. Mm. Um, but it's it's true. But it seems to me that um, that if you're going... Is it something about... I don't know. Is it something about an existence will that means you're going to be a maverick and you're not going to work for other people and you're not going to design yeah. primary schools or secondary schools, that you're not going to be a, what they call a fund architect. Yeah. For instance, there's uh, seven Chelsea footballers, all aged about 23, mm. that have created a fund mm. of about 30 million and that fund goes to a fund manager mm. and the fund manager's given a brief to make a building. Mm that they all then jointly own. So mm. they then find an architect and they don't care what it looks like mm. as long as it comes in and makes the, f- the fund manager, then makes the investors. That's all they do. They work for funds. I can't do that. No. I just uh, and wh- wh- why, why can't you do that? Because for me, it's about crafting space. It's about, it's about an intimate relationship between the mark I make on a piece of paper and maybe how joyful I want the people who are going to then eventually inhabit that mark are going to be. I don't know. Maybe it's... I don't know. But there's I, and a, also but there's I have control over, over the small work that I do. I mean, all my houses are between two and three. But, you know, they're small. All the work that... I mean, I had lunch with an architect yesterday who works for funds. Hmm. He doesn't do any other work other than funds. doesn't do public work. Like, and why can he do that and you can't? Oh, I could if I wanted to, but I never wanted but to. But there, there's never, another what, way... You can't, so you can't do it? But there's another way to describe I what you're... I can't do it. Now I can't do it. Yeah, because... because, because I don't have the skills to do it. it, it, well, and, it and it wouldn't get you up in the morning. It wouldn't get me up in the morning. 
No, Th there's, a, there's another way to describe what you're pushing on, I think, which is there's a safe way to play this game. There's a safe way to play most games in life. And that's what you're describing as the known. And the safe way is maybe being employed by somebody else, maybe doing the fund work because it's much more um, understood. Um, the, the future is, 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 is clearer to predict. Um, doing schools, similar kind of thing. But it's... But the creativity is lost. The it, it, it's very unlikely that's going to lead towards you doing Bono's house. Yeah. And so, is how much of that is considered? How much of that is de a deliberate act on your part? And and is and is an, the anarchist in you saying, no, I, I'm doing this my way because I'm, life's too short. How, is there any of that? I remember when when I when I graduated. Um, my professor said to me, well, Phillips, I wish you could be, never call me Alan Phillips or Alan <laughs> or Mr. or Sir. He just called me, he said, Phillips? I said, yeah. He said, I, I, I don't know how you're going to turn out as an architect, but one thing I do know is that you are completely and utterly unemployable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so I thought, fine, I'll never get a job for any, with anyone, never have done. Um, except that, you know, working for universities, of course, and that's a different thing. And teaching has been a blessing. Teaching has been a complete blessing. Can I? Can I just? Can I ask you about Ravensbourne? Yeah. Where, okay. where you? Where you teach? And t tell me about your Thursday. My Thursday. My Thursday is because I live, but not live. I live with people, of course, my children and my wife. Because I work alone, Thursday is a great day because it's when I get up and out of the house and go to Ravensbourne University London, which is literally touches shoulders with the O2 arena. Mm. So it's a sort of, it's, it's a great place to go to. And, and the journey, I, I've ritualized the journey. Take us through it. So, well, I, but it, it starts with, my view is that when you get up in the morning, you should do something very, very modest, but very, very well. So what I do is make my bed. Great, yeah. But I make it beautifully. Great. Absolutely beautifully. This is an ongoing debate with my wife around the importance of um, you, you, giving it, care it, to it, making it, your it bed in the morning. It doesn't matter what you do, but my view is that you should do something extraordinarily humble and very modest, mm. very, very well. Mm. It sort of sets you up for the day. Can you can you give us paint, paint a picture of what your bed looks like? How do you like to... My, my my bedroom is, is is contains eight pieces of original artwork. Um, it contains a Macintosh ladderback chair, which is original that I bought many many years ago. Contains a Lucabusier chaise longue, which I that Chris, my wife, and I were given as one of our wedding presents, but I simply stole it. <laughs> I simply <laughs> took charge of it and nicked it and put it in my room. Um, so the room is, is, is lovely and just full of art and beautiful um, objects. But the ritual of how you make your bed and uh, d how do you make it beautiful? Um, well, every, everything has to, nothing, nothing has a crease. So the duvet is perfect and the cushions and pillows are perfect. And there's one under pillow, then there's a top cushion then another one, then a third. Wow. And they're all 
scale is one of the great things that architects love. It's a relative ordering of dimensions. So my bed is a relative ordering of dimensions. And then I leave the, the house. Well, hold on. You don't having, just make your bed and then leave the house. There's no, got to be I, some I, other bits in between. No, but I know, I know what I'm going to wear the day before. So you, pla I, I, you plan I all that out. Do you? Everything. Everything. You have no idea how difficult it is. <laughs> <laughs> Are you formulaic with what you wear? Yeah, I wear greys and blacks normally. So, so that side of things is easy. Because you can mix them and match them, but you don't have to make any decisions yeah. whatsoever. So I save all my decisions for on that Thursday for my students. Yeah, so that's the Steve Jobs effect. Just like the, the you put some stuff out to wear so that it's there, but there's no decision-making. There's no um, requirement to tap into any hard thinking no, on any of that no, stuff. black shoes, black socks, or sometimes violently coloured socks, not black. But then a black suit, black roll neck. Then I have a number of glasses. I've got 12 watches and 12 glasses, and I, I change them and mix and match them accordingly. So this watch has got dark blue, and that's dark blue, and that's Great. dark blue. And then I've got some jeans on. And it's all caref caref carefully thought of. It's curated. Then I, so I then have my shit shower shave and then leave home. This is where it gets difficult. Okay. Leaving home is where it gets difficult because coming up, from Brighton Station are all the Basvik students who decant themselves out of the trains coming in from Lewis and Littlehampton and everywhere else to walk up a narrow pavement. And when I first started encountering these wretched students who walked three abreast, with two of them reading their phones or looking at their Instagram, um, I used to very elegantly move out into the road and then walk down the road which was quite but then I thought to myself why on earth should I as a senior citizen put myself <laughs> at risk when these little things are strutting up the, the road or up the road on the pavement so eventually I thought do you know what if they don't move I'm just going to fucking barge straight into them and, that, that, and that's when I just went bang um and I think they now know me now. They all sort of move out the way or go into single file. Alan has described this <coughs> to me as 10-pin um, bowling. <laughs> it is. They have to be. Where he's the ball. <laughs> you remember, you remember um, Isambard Kingdom Brunel and, uh, making the South Western Railway and used to take his wife and his family on um, a single-gauge track on a Sunday morning for a jaunt and... And this is uh, identical to this experience. And uh, a journalist said to him, but, but Mr. Bruno, if a train was coming in the opposite direction for exactly the same reason, what would happen? He said, well, just get up steam and biff them off. <laughs> <laughs> so you've got that in the back of your mind. I'm going to biff, the the, I'm gonna biff them off. At first, I avoided them elegantly. Now, I just get up steam and biff them off. <laughs> and um, um, that's the first bit. Then the second bit, of course, is by my guardian and getting the free metro, um, which is never too difficult unless there's someone who's just taken the last guardian, then my entire day is ruined. Oh no, really? It's completely, completely and utterly ruined. Then over to the flying coffee bean where I get my porridge and my flat white. And my metro precisely spans the time it takes me to drink the flat white and to eat the porridge before I get the 902 with my guardian. 
and then I'm comfortable. I always sit. Why? In why, why the Metro and the Guardian? Well, the Metro because it's free, and the Guardian because it's a half decent newspaper. But why? Why do you need the Metro? I I don't know why I need the Metro. <laughs> Some questions are completely unanswerable. <laughs> because is, because, it, because it's free. But, but I think because it's free. I don't know. Um, but I I, I, I flip that because I've only got a flat white and a yeah. orange. Yeah. To get through. But then I get the 902 and I always sit in exactly the same seat because I know precisely where, when the train comes into London Bridge, that door... Where it opens. You're one of the, the penguins. Top of the escalator that takes you down to the underpass that takes you down to the underground that takes you four steps, four stops, I'm sorry, to North Greenwich. Yeah, I call, the, I call you the penguins. They're, they're the penguins. And, and I love every single minute of it. Until... I, there's no guardian, in which case. Well, if there's no guardian, that is completely fucked. <laughs> completely, utterly fucked. I, I can't imagine what I'd do without that, um, because it's it's a bit like architecture as a rock. My guardian is my rock, um, in terms of, and I like the long read, and and I like, um, actually, do you know what? I like everything about it. I think it's really good. If I, if I said to you um, next Thursday, uh, I challenge you to buy The Times rather than oh, The Guardian. I hate the Times. So even better. I hate The Times. Why w- would, you, would you write that off? Would you, that, is, that not, is that not possible? It wouldn't be possible. And the other thing that wouldn't be possible is that if, it's, if cricket, if there's a, a test series on... I have to buy the Guardian and the Telegraph because the Telegraph cricket writers are the best in the world, without any doubt. They write about cricket poetically. So, so can I? Can I? Can I? This is I, I, this is what I fa- find so fascinating. So we've got on one hand we've got Alan Phillips, the architect, who absolutely adores routine and gets great pleasure from it, from making your bed to buying the Guardian, the flat white, the same seat. And, but if ever, anything goes wrong in that process... Then I'm in a fury. It, it's, yeah, it upsets everything about the day. It upsets everything. Yeah. But then the other part of Alan Phillips, the architect, is this person who hates the known, cannot abide doing what... The anarchist. boxes. The, the anarchist. The, That's come, the, that that word's come up a few times, hasn't yeah, it? The yeah, anarchist. Absolutely. You've got the, the anarchist Because the anarchist doesn't buy The Guardian every day. No. Well, sorry, yeah. every Thursday. The anarchist can buy the Times next Thursday. But I, maybe not the anarchist architect. I don't know. I've got too used, uh, too used to doing this. I, um, I suppose... I, but if we skip forward to where I get to, I get to a staggeringly wonderful building housing my department and I spend the day teaching or, or talking to young people. And, and, and get and paid for it. Can you mm, imagine that? Mm. I'm just talking to young people. I mean, incredibly young people. 22-year-old, 21-year-old mm. young people. And then suddenly you get... You suddenly realise that the person you're talking to is going to be great. Mm. They're going to be great. Mm. Any doubt whatsoever. And, and you can't predict what you're going to be discussing with them. I know that there's a project that's been set, so it'll be something around that. But if... If, for instance, I've necked a bottle of wine the night before and I get into my 
department feeling a bit secondhand, and a student comes up to me and says, oh, can you just give me some clues about post-Egelian pure visibilism? Then you can be caught for a second. So the excuse you have to make is, I've got a breakfast meeting with the dean, <laughs> and then instead of doing that, you dive down to the library, <laughs> check out Hegel, check out a bit of visibilism, put the two together, and come back with, with a, an answer. Come back with an answer. Very good. And that has happened. Yeah, I, it sounds fact, like it. Someone asked me at, at nine o'clock in the morning once, um, "Can you give me five minutes on truth?" Wow. I've told him to fuck off. I mean, it's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> truth in five minutes, but. Um, you get you get that, and it's, it's may- really really lovely. To Maybe there's something in that ritual to prepare yourself to be the right Alan for that world, so that you are there with, and you're right, you're just in the right headspace, and 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 you know maybe you've just found a unique pleasure in reading the Guardian in the way you do, and your porridge and and your coffee, and it's just wiring your brain up you know exactly that just so that you're ready i think it's exactly that well it's like an an architectural metaphor isn't it yeah that that, that routine that you have which takes you up there gives you the foundations i'm not proud of biffing 16 17 year olds (laughs) off the pavement but they are arrogant they won't move aside that's because they're looking at their phones they've got some important stuff on snapchat they deserve to have a little ownership don't they of that pavement they're beginning to have some ownership over their built environment and their emotional environment, so it's fine. But I do biff them off. No, <laughs> they have to go. They have to go. But you're, but you're right. It sets up. It sets up a vehicle for me to feel comfortable when I enter my department and when I do. Do you know what? Every Thursday, I feel absolutely fantastic. Mm. How does that feeling compare to the rest of your week? So coming back to locking yourself away in your office four days a week. Um, do, do you almost need the um I need my Thursdays. I need you, my Thursdays. Um, the, there's been a conspiracy recently uh, and a purge where I've seen one of my best friends um, and associate dean pushed out of the university, pushed, ruthlessly, ruthlessly pushed out of the university. And I had a massive decision to make. Either I could stay at home feeling sorry for him feeling sorry for himself or continue teaching and I had to continue my Thursday Mm. I had to do it A because I love it so much but B the counterpoint between that busy 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 day which includes Basvik sixth form sixth form (laughs) (laughs) and the Guardian and everything else um, so beautifully mitigates the the quiet and the solitude Mm. that I Mm. have for the rest of the week that I need the two of them to work side mm. by side. I really, really, really do. How long has that featured? How long has... The um, trip up to Ravensbourne? Blimey. I think 10 years. Okay. And was there something before that that you would say played the same role? Yeah, I've always, I've always had a, a, a foot in academia. Yeah. So I've always... You know, I'm a visiting fellow at Bath and examiner at Kingston. So I've... There's always a number of universities that I'm associated with, so that's good. Okay. There's always something to be done. Yeah. And, and do you think uh, it, it seems l- like your professional world is um, is you 
is where you spend more of your time. It, that's the creative unknown disorder, whatever you want to call it. That's where you. That's where you get that hit from. Because you know, I know you in your personal life, and and you're. You know, outside. You're well aware of that chaos. Well, no, no, no. I, th I think in your personal life, you try and you know, you try and keep things fairly um, in the known. I do. You know, you you, you try and um, you, you know, you, you you you're not prone to. You like to know where you're going and when, and you get there early. And you're prepared. I do, I do get there early. You, you I always, always get, get there, there early. early. I mean, there's, you know. Actually, yeah, you said to me we were outside at, what was it, quarter past two and we were meeting at three o'clock. Yeah. And you said Alan's probably here. Yeah. And yeah. I was downstairs yeah. at quarter to three. Yeah. So. With a glass of wine and and the Guardian. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not Thursday. It's not, it's and it's not Thursday, but it's a nice day. Thursday, well, we got reading week at university this week, so. Reading week means that all the students get drunk, um, but it's they spent they're supposed to be doing research for their dissertation. Yeah, but, but are you are you all, are you always early? Is that I'm always early. Um, I will be ridiculed. Chris, my wife, ridicules me in a beautiful way, but on a regular basis, by saying things like, "Well, Alan, your train's going at nine o'clock, and it's six thirty in the morning. You better leave now." <laughs> <laughs> so I have I have travel anxiety. I suffer from two. Th Three or four things, probably. Um, uh, adult uh, attachment disorder, but travel anxiety is is dreadful. And I'd much rather be an hour or two hours early for a flight than one minute late. Yeah. I've, been, I've been in a I rental car with Alan on the way to the airport, and I can testify he, he he definitely would prefer there to be earlier. I'd much rather be there yeah. earlier and sit down, have some breakfast at Jamie's, and you know just take my time it's yeah lovely. and I um, so I do suffer from track that I've got that Thursday off to a tea apart from any apart from you know having a barrage of six formers charging up the pavement which would make my life difficult but I mitigate for that mm. by the I, leave, I leave at eight o'clock on the dot and I get to the Brighton station at 814 my train goes at 902 so that gives me time to buy the Guardian duh, duh, Get fans and has that changed as you've got older, or have you always been like that? But are you still in the process of refining? Let's describe these as positive habits. Would you say you're still looking to refine those positive habits? Is that a conscious decision? I'm, I'm, I'm conscious that my architecture is getting better. Really? Yeah. And that, and that, that's that's probably the greatest joy and the greatest privilege I could possibly have is that I know my work's getting better mm. that's good so do you, do you think you're looking for what you're doing in your life and how that affects your feeling of positivity towards your architecture and almost iterating and testing and learning and, and then dialing in on things that that make a difference and and then and then locking those down and, and, and gradually establishing a way of being to best further your yeah. your practice. Yeah, without any doubt. Um, the, the, the marriage I've had with Chris has been the longest relationship I've ever had in my life. And although she might say, uh, she might say the complete opposite, it's been so valuable to me, incredibly valuable, the house that we built up together and 
things that we're doing, even doing a new bathroom. Um, but that's been very valuable, and it, and it has been um, um, a, a very secure foundation upon which I can then go into my office every day mm. and do things better, a little bit better every time. Mm. I'll probably do my last line on my deathbed going, well, that's quite good, Alan. <laughs> 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 and then, and then, and then exp- you know that last breath, expire, yeah. then expire. It's like Tommy Cooper. Like Tommy, Tommy Cooper. But the, yeah, it's it. I mean, that is quite romantic. The problem with men, they say, is that when they die, they shit themselves. Oh, it's the last. And thing, women don't. And women don't. It's the last thing they do. And I'm not sure that I want to suffer that ignorantly. So, I think I probably, I, I, I do have someone that might, might put my lights out when I know the time is right. Without shitting myself. Really, is that a thing you've considered? Yeah. Wow. This yeah. is. We could go off on a tangent on this. I don't think I want to talk about no, that. No, let's not talk about that. We'll move on. We'll talk about that another time. The um, Can you t- take us to moments in your life where you feel as though you've faced a really big decision? Something that personally has just been really, really... It's, it, it, it's kept you up at night. You, it, it, wasn't, it, it wasn't just a make this decision move on is it took a lot of time and energy to work through no and what, what you've learned no you can't never i can't i couldn't possibly tell you about any circumstances that have led up to or promulgated a major decision in my life they all seem to have been based on some existential or empirical process out of that's completely out of my control or if it's in my control I've ignored it in order to allow the process to happen. Mm. Deliberately? Yeah. So that's always, and that's the anarchist in you again? Yeah. Just let things happen. It'll be fine. Yeah. What's your... It'll be fine. See, this is one thing that Chris gets infuriated by. I always say to Chris, everything will be okay. Everything will be fine. You keep on saying that. <laughs> Stop saying that. Everything will be fine. It won't be... Look, everything will be fine. Everything will be fine. Hmm. But I don't know whether there's such a thing as an existential empiricist, but if there is, that's me. Mm. An, an, an anarchist existential empiricist would be me. That's a very clear definition, isn't it, and label? It is, isn't it? Mm. Never heard that before. Um, so there are some interesting traits that sound like they have lived with you for, for a very long time around the importance of devoting time to your craft and dialing everything in your life up to support your craft and then also or putting it in danger well tell us about that well i drink too much let's okay. say let's yeah. say let's just take that as an example um um i was literally brought up on class class a drugs you know as a mod you you use amphetamines to take you through all night dancing mm. that's what you did it was the ritual was that you went out at 11 and you came home at 7 that's mm. what you did mm. that was the mod thing and you di- so you took amphetamines to keep you going and then you became uh, reliant on them and then you gave them up because you stopped being a mod and began to be a hippie <laughs> and then you took LSD mm. so <laughs> so do you see then and then 
you stopped taking LSD because you weren't a hippie anymore and you started smoking reefer and then you stopped smoking reefer and started taking cocaine. You know, so it was just one, do you see, one thing. Um, it, it was somehow your rite of passage was connected with some sort of, oh, and then, and, and don't forget, um, what do you call them? Ecstasy. Mm. Oh, 1986, um, and so on. So, and all of these things stepped, you know, stepped in the way of doing the one thing I wanted to do very well or did it or was I able to do the one thing my the, the rock of my existence better because somehow it was always in counterpoint to all of the other things I was doing at the same time I don't know but all I do I can tell you one thing and I can put my hand on my heart and swear on the life of everyone that's dear to me is that I've never ever allowed anything, alcohol, drugs, rock and roll, whatever, to interfere with my work, mm. ever, ever. And in France, you know, it, it, was a, it was a rock and roll year, let me tell you. Mm. And yet I was always on site at seven o'clock every single morning, and I was always leave site at seven o'clock every single evening. I was the first one on and the first one off wouldn't ever allow anything to happen and yet it would it would somehow engage with my vision of things of course so blimey how about that i don't know i don't know what to say about that but um it but there's something about you being able to keep that in check yeah maybe because you recognize the importance of putting the thing that matters to you the most in first first yeah yeah there's always been um a tendency to have an addictive um uh there's always been an addictive tendency mm. addictive but um but i've never i'll always pull way 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 back before that interferes with my work plus the fact that if if there isn't any work there isn't any income and if any income then the, the family collapses mm. and i won't never allow that to happen mm. so let's let's talk about pinnacle achievements so i'm really keen to hear a bit more about the bono experience <laughs> and then as i referenced earlier the the two grand design experiences can you so tell they, us a they bit they may not be the uh, they, they, well they might not be the ones that you tell <laughs> us about but I, I i think it's been i think i think my you know the, my work and the achievements of my work has been sequential i think, I think one thing's been built on the other thus the empirical process and the existential process um but there have been threshold moments certainly yeah and st and stories that you uh, yeah, that I mean, you never thought you'd write the threshold moments have been lovely um <coughs> the first time that someone asked me to design them a house was like delirious <coughs> his name was Gavin Anthony Tindall-Hawk, working-class lad. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the first part of my fee, he said, how do you want to be paid, Alan? I said, well, I understand that you're a fantastic backgammon player. In fact, English amateur champion, I think, twice. And a good skier. He said, I'm both of those. I said, well, I'll take my first tranche of fees for teaching me two things, one to ski <laughs> and two to pay backgammon, which he did. So that was that was how I took and then built And and that sorry just to, to jump in, but there's something there around 
the affinity with people and the importance of building relationships, yeah. moving into yeah, knowing that. Well, so, you, are, are you betting at that point that in order for this to be what you both need it to be, that you need to focus on building the relationship first, and I the money to, and the I money had to will make come? Sure that Gavin and Ginny, who had aspirations to be an architect, and after I finished the house was so in love with architecture that she dropped everything and became an architect. Wow, good for you. Which is very nice. I had to make sure that they fell in love with me. Mm. And they did. Um, and, and we had a gorgeous relationship. And the house still sits there in St. George's Lane in Hurstbeer Point. Mm. And I think it's just been put up to be listed as a sort of very archetypical early 1970s house, which is quite nice in mm. your lifetime. That's amazing. Then, then things simply rolled on um, until I got my first teaching post and that was really really beautiful it was sort of we think that your work is sufficiently good for you to take the experience from it and teach others about it that's alright isn't it that's really really okay um, as for clients um, like Bono or, or Prince Bayou Cuckoo or whoever um, they're, they're people, they're human beings and um, they, they can be good or difficult or anywhere in between and that's fine but that was a nice moment so graduation was a nice moment when I got my really, really, you know when I got my diploma with distinction I thought that's lovely then then when I got <coughs> my first house from Gavin, that was lovely when I got my first invitation to teach, that was another threshold moment and then everything I think built on that. When I got my professorship, that was a very nice moment. That mm. was really lovely, you know, reading some citation that says, you know, in recognition of your distinguished career as a writer, teacher, blah, 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 blah. That was a lovely moment. That was a really, when that was bestowed, that was a lovely moment. And now, and now I'm, I'm lucky enough to have you know, enough projects to see me out, and I'm very happy really really happy so tell us about um how is that when when you so are you a, are you a u2 fan no and not really well i mean i think when chris used to judge her chris my wife used to judge her paper round um in other words the speed that she did it by uh u2's joshua tree <laughs> so you should yeah. The first track on. Can we ju- can we just say that Alan wasn't seeing Chris at this moment? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> this is pre-Alan. This is ve- def- definitely pre-Alan. Good. Okay. Um, uh, and w- and when I replayed it, I thought actually that's a very good piece of work. Really, really good piece of work. And you but replayed it. Did you replay it around the time that yeah, you I were did. starting? But yeah. but before you started working with yeah, bef- in, the in edge. between being interviewed. And having Mark, who's Bono's uh, assistant and grand and godfather, sorry, to three of his children, mm. and and you were being interviewed by him. At what at what point? Does by him, yeah. By, by Mark him. or Bono? No, by Bono. Okay. Yeah. Um, and Edge. Yeah. And always over lunch. You don't call which him which is dangerous. Ed, the Edge, do you? I I used to call him Edge, not Did the you? Edge. Did <laughs> you? Yeah. <Or> edge. <laughs> right, mate. <laughs> All right. We had a lovely, lovely contractor called Mouse who built Ray's house. Yeah. I brought down to work on Bono's house, and there was a very long ladder leading up to a rotunda that we were constructing 
and Bono was at the height of his powers. I mean, the height of his powers. This was the Zeropa tour. You know, you two were, without any doubt whatsoever, the greatest rock band on earth. And Bono climbed the stair, and, and Mouse suddenly leapt up from the power and went, "All right, mate." <laughs> <laughs> In, in the most beautiful un and unassuming way you can possibly imagine. And we all knew then that everything was going to go yeah, perfectly. Yeah, well, it must Bono be really unfamiliar. Burst into, for burst into tears of laughter. Yeah. Mouse didn't understand why he was laughing. <laughs> I was laughing at the bottom. And he went, he's all right. He's, he's, and Bono came there and said, everything's going to be fine. I said, everything's going to be absolutely fine. Who's in charge? He said, Mouse is in charge. <laughs> no, really. He said, it's going to be fine. So... That was that was lovely. Um, so you, you weren't you weren't a fan particularly. No. Um, and then no, and haven't you, been since particularly. Um, but you did but a I year. I know that they're a very very good band. But you did a year living living that life to to a degree. Yeah. I, and I, yeah, I spent a year living that life. And you you had that anarchist part of you growing up as a mod. Yes. So did that come out during that time? Yeah. And, ha and how did that affect? your work in a, po in a positive way, as in how, how did it influence um, the work that you did? Um, in, in, a, in a reverse, sometimes in a reverse sort of way, like for, um, I don't know whether you remember Eric Burden and the Animals. Mm. Do you remember mm -hmm. Eric Burden? Do you? Mm. Oh, I remember the animals, yeah. Yeah, um, House of the Rising Sun. Mm -hmm. Eric Burden's sister, um, Eric Burden told the management that his sister was a great interior designer and should come down to Ez and Mare and fit the house. I hated this whole idea. I despised it. So Eric Burden's sister came down and started fluffing around and flapping about and putting things in places I didn't want and finished her job and I flew her back to London and didn't tell anyone that she had left until such time as we'd spent two weeks ripping everything that she put in out and that was that was one of the joyous moments of my <laughs> life and we called it detooting because <laughs> she had just put all this fucking toot everywhere and we detooted the lot and ripped it all out and when, when the man came to visit the site, we said, well, we just want it to be very plain and very minimal and very... Oh, what about Erica Burt? Oh, yes, she, yeah, she, she went along with everything we said. <laughs> so that was, a, that was a very nice moment when, when it was architecture in reverse. It was de-architecture mm. or de-tutting. It was, it was great. We loved it. I loved it. And let's come on to the, uh, the couple of grand designs that you've done mm. Did, are you a fan of Grand Designs I'm a fan of Kevin I like Kevin a yeah. lot we get on very well had you had you met him before um, no not before the first one but the first one was thousands of years ago so we were he was starting out he used to edit some of the rushes around at my flat when I when Chris and I were were quite newly married actually mm. um so it was a long, long time ago. I think it was the second series ever, or the second program in the first series. But it was brilliant, and we had a fantastic time. 
and Kevin said, I want to interview. Where do you, where do you want me to interview? And I said, well, how about the Freemasons? He said, why the Freemasons? I said, that's where I live. <laughs> so they cleared the Freemasons, brought the whole Grand Designs crew in. and This is the Freemasons pub. Yeah, in, in is it Western Road? It's Western yeah, Road, isn't yeah. it? Um, they said... Um, what about Haley's house then? You design. I said, well, it's not Haley's house; it's my house. Why well, I just give her as a long lease, basically? Um, and after, and, uh, Kevin started giggling, um, and we had to cut the whole thing. But then we we went out, had a good drink, yeah, and some food, and became good friends. And th- when it happened that a second project was chosen because we remember they have eight projects in a series yeah and about 600 buildings are submitted because everybody wow, wants yeah. to be on so to have so I called Kevin and said well, you've chosen a building do you know I'm an arch- the architect because and he said yeah and I said well you can't do that really you can't have the same architect doing two grand designs he said Alan it'll make good television ah uh. Which was nice. Yeah. And, we so was, and when will we see it? A while yet, I guess, because it's not... It's been a, it's been a complete it's on hold, isn't it? disaster. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's been a beautiful disaster for television. Yeah. In that we started, we built the shell and core. We found some soft spots, what they call soft spots under the site. Uh, so there were masses of financial extras trying to get out of the ground mm. onto a safe slab. Mm-hmm. Um the client had to refinance there's been uh, austerity and Brexit and a flat market mm. and everybody's unsure so the site has been closed for 18 months oh wow much to the much to the pleasure of Grand Designs of mm. course who just love this since then the girls have gone from being girls to adults mm. and everybody's changed mm. um, uh, and, the, and the relationship with the the build has probably changed a lot in that well, time as well. The build walked off the site, so it's got to all be all the site's got to be reset up again. Mm. So the first one went very well. What, what? So the first one, just so we can place it, where was it in the world? And, and tell it us was about in Brighton in Brunswick Street West. Okay. And it was called Grand Designs Indoors, and it was a remodeling project. Okay. Much like Ray's, but on a much smaller scale. Yeah. But in a much more radical way. Okay. I cut holes through the building and dropped sound systems and did all made strange doors that were lit from the floor and all sorts of things and it was and it was very very nice and and it cemented the relationship between myself and Kevin McLeod mm. then that relationship was completely forgotten for mm. years and years and years and then re-engaged with when I started doing Chesilcliffe House in Devon and it looks spectacular but the the locals absolutely despise it. So yet again, it's the, I think they call it an eyesore um, or the ugliest construction in Devon. How, how do you feel about that? Because you could take that well, personally. It, it does hurt to, to a degree, but you know it's going to be very beautiful. Mm. You know that something made of concrete is ugly <coughs> until it's made white. And when it's yeah. made white, it can look very beautiful. Mm. And people, people don't like change. It doesn't matter what you'd have done; they would have objected. Yeah. It's it's arguably the most beautiful point in North Devon. You've got the Croyd Surfing Bay, mm. and on one point you have Baggy House, which is renowned and award-winning. 
and on the other point you have my piece, Chester Cliff House, which is a shell and core and unfinished and weather-beaten and looking very sad. I mean, it will be brought back to life and will end up looking very beautiful, but at the moment it, it doesn't, except that I can see through the hardness of it all. Um, so, so the second grand designs is not as straightforward as the first, but is going to be lovely. It's interesting, isn't it? You know, you, you, you know what it can be like. You can see it. You can, well, of course, you designed it, so you, you know exactly what it's going to be like, uh, give or take. But other people, it, it's more difficult for them because they, they can't see the finished product. They, they, they see what's there at the moment. They see builders. They see trucks. They see cranes. Cranes. That's right. And you know, all of which are just part of the process of making something beautiful. Um, but it, it is. It is hard for some people to, in any way, imagine what the end product is going to be like, and and so they, I, and will often hate the end product. So, the, for a while, for a while. But the moment before the end product happens, it can look very, very, very hard. It, you know, it's like, it's like modern art. Modern art is very hard to love. It's very, very, very hard to love. Um, if you're, if you're Reynolds and you're painting a horse, you can love it very quickly and very easily. If you're Constable and painting a landscape, you can love it very quickly and very easily. If you're Le Cabousier and you're doing um, a church at Ronchoy, it can be very difficult to love it because it's so complex and very abstract. And abstraction is a difficult thing to love or to care about. And this building is very abstract. It really, really, really is abstract, and it's only going to sing when it's completely and utterly finished, mm. and all the glass is polished, and all the white render mm. is beautiful and crisp and lovely, mm. and you can suddenly see the cliff and this thing happening. That's really interesting. But I think going back to what Ray is trying to draw out, there's something about. So you said earlier that there, you you that you and Chris, your wife, um, hit this point of. It will be fine. And to you, that's easy. And to her, that's hard. And there's something about your role as an architect holding that creative license and vision where ultimately what you're bringing to the table is protecting and creating a future, a known future that you're very comfortable with. And you see that future. And it, and it was interesting hearing you just talk about the current Grand Designs project because some people may look at the current situation and say it will never be finished that's a dead project it's going nowhere but you but you don't talk about it like that you talk about it will be beautiful because you see that future uh, yeah i do what what is it about well, what you said about chris was incredibly poignant mm. and absolutely true in my relationship i see everything as wonderful and easy and and it's all going to be fine she doesn't see that at all no she sees it as hard and difficult and sometimes quite hopeless, actually. There's a, I, I know she sees a level of hopelessness in, in, in the relationship, and it's similar to the relationship I have with my, with, with my buildings. I, I know that this building is going, although it's hard and difficult and, um, and, and possibly going to fail, I, all I see is, is the end product, a <coughs> bit like, you know, there was a, a guy in India who was making elephants out of 
lumps. And I said, isn't that a beautiful elephant? What, how is that a beautiful elephant? He said, because when I look at that lump of wood, all I see is a beautiful elephant. Mm. Mm. I think that's just magnificent. Mm. And I remember these things. Mm. So, so uh, and that's a really interesting one. I never thought about it in that way, that when, when you're going into the unknown, there are some people that can see... A known state. Yeah, they can see the known. Yeah, they can. They know what it's what it's yeah. going to be like. And yeah. Okay, you're in the unknown for other people, but for you, it's it's just a it's just a stepping stones to the known. What it's going to be like, how you design that building. But then you, can, I think you can be even more metaphoric than that and say that to Alan, what you just described isn't his unknown state it's no, actually right. his known it's state. known state it's actually right. nice yeah, and comfortable because he been, can see it and it some, some of it state. because you've you've been through it before some of it because it just it it's just part of the way you see the world that you're quite comfortable with that level of chaos because you chaos. see it as pro no, no it, yeah exactly chaos. but it can be to some it, it's certainly chaos to chris on many occasions she sees it as chaos Yes, no, 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 no and, absolutely. And, and is very upset by that chaos yeah, because she can't see order emerging from it. Mm. But when I go round the corner from that chaos and open the door of my office and then close it behind me, I'm in a perfectly ordered environment whereby the chaos is forgotten instantly. Yeah, but I mean, I, I've been in situations where where I've been talking to people. I'm thinking more recently, we're coming back from Greece this year on holiday and bumped into some people in the some strangers in a oh you love strangers yeah i I don't mind strangers i'm happy to (laughs) be strangers and and they they seemed to my wife very very aggressive and they weren't they were just passionate and it was just such an interesting conversation with them but all jane and maybe probably other people around could see was um what they felt was anger Mm. coming out and it wasn't and I was loving the conversation because it was just, it was about the Israeli Arab conflict with some Israelis. And they were really, really passionate about it. And it, it was just, I, 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 was, I was seeing something completely different mm. to somebody else who was in exactly the same place. That's, re- that's really interesting because it makes me think of that last conversation we had with Gina about the um, vision board. Yes. So we were talking to somebody about uh, imagining their future. She talked really openly about this vision board that she has where it's sort of collage of her future she puts it somewhere really prominent in the house and that future comes true she's convinced and it it just plays out in every aspect of her life it really came out in that conversation and it sounds like maybe it's not as much of a deliberate act in encouraging your future state but it sounds like maybe you've honed in on something where you're quite comfortable committing to something seeing a future that hasn't happened yet and knowing that that will play out is it, what, yeah what, I, I sorry I was going to say to, to what extent is it about faith you know if you've got if you've got the picture it's just about working out how to get there and you know with your grand designs project it's it's hit you know uh, financially it's 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 hit Rock some bottom. Yeah, it's well, it's it's. Well, it's not. It, I think it's beginning to emerge. But yeah, but it, it, it's 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 there's hurdles that have to be overcome. But ultimately, you don't have any. Um, you know, it can be a great building. 
I know it will be a great building. There you go. Yeah, I really, really do. Um, and that is an obsession with optimism. I mean, it's an addiction to optimism. Yeah, yeah, great. That's yeah. a really good way and to, it's to just describe about it. Working out how an to addiction get to optimism. It's an addiction to optimism. Has that been with you yes. forever? Yes. You were born with it? Yes. And you So you get thrown out at birth, but you know everything's going to be, be fine. fine. Yeah. Yeah. You don't, you don't, you don't. You, do you know you don't give a you, you don't give a toss about that? Everything's going to be fine. fine. I get thrown out of birth, put into a, a home for fallen women or something. You know, wasn't adopted because I had a terrible ear infection and looked absolutely <coughs> dreadful. But do you know what? Everything's going to be fine. Mm, mm. Can I just suggest we raise a toast? Yeah, to everything's going to gonna be to fine. To, op to optimism. Yeah, yeah. Agree. To the addiction of optimism. Yeah. Everything's going to be fine. That's it, folks. For show notes, head over to the website at www.lifedonedifferent.ly where you'll find links, a quick summary, and you can also explore other conversations. If you're enjoying this podcast, then please tell your friends, give us a good rating, and remember to subscribe. We're also really keen to hear your feedback, so please do let us know what you think and give us your ideas over on Twitter. You can tweet us at lifedonediff, that's double F. If you fancy something different in your life, check out Do Something Different. It's really simple. Head over to www.dsd.me, go to the pro collection, choose a program that suits your goal. That could be being happier, more emotionally intelligent, or even quitting smoking. And then you're off. You'll be sent some small steps that stretch your comfort zone and help you achieve your goals. Enjoy. And until next time, keep on living life differently. Mm -hmm.